You guys, hi, I'm Charlie Bleeker. And I'm Sam Bleeker. And this is Bleeker Bombs, a podcast where we talk about all our struggles, marital, parental, financial, and personal. Let's do this. I'm just going to start talking. I say and all the time. Did I tell you this? No. Whenever I'm saying anything and I finish my sentence, I say and and it's so oh, fucking it's like annoying a for a trail off yeah and i was really thinking about why do i always do that even though i'm finished my sentence and it's because i feel like i want to say more mm. and i'm worried that if i just end my sentence and i pause that you or whoever i'm talking to will then start talking and it's like no i'm not finished yet i have more to say and i think it might come from growing up in my family and yeah. how it's so hard to get a word in so if you don't keep talking then somebody's going to interrupt you like if there's any space someone else sees that as the opportunity opportunity for them to then speak well having tried to contribute to dialogue in your ha- family's household yeah i know it's impossible to get a word in yeah but i think we should both try to instead of like using like a trail off like and or just a run-on sentence to indicate that we're still talking using body language. Mm. Like maybe subtly keeping like a hand up or like that kind of stuff. That's a really good idea. Where did you hear that? I forget. It was a while ago, but someone was talking about leaving space in dialogue and not always feeling the need to fill the gap. And they brought up that one case that you're talking about where you have more to say. Mm. And... I think the response was like, you can make it very clear through your mannerisms that you still have more to say. Well, then I think I should try that. Okay. I should try. (laughs) I'm over here like waving my arms now, but I don't even know what the waving is for. (laughs) The other thing that I do that's really annoying is I laugh and I just like wish Mm. I would just not laugh because every time I am listening to myself edit, or I'm editing and I'm listening to myself and I hear myself laugh, I'm just like, ugh, stop laughing. All right, let's get started. Today we are talking about one of the recent Tim Ferriss podcast episodes with Matt Moshery. I think it's Moshari. <laughs> I, just said it. I was just asking him to look this up <laughs> and he told me how to say it and I still say it wrong. Moshari. You didn't even ask to look it up. Okay. You said, uh, maybe that's something we should know. <laughs> you don't have to tell them everything you know i thought we did (laughs) oh i need to stop laughing okay matt moshari was on the tim ferris podcast and sam played it when we were in bed and as soon as matt started talking or matt and tim started having a conversation i was just so riveted i was like oh my god this is so good and it was because tim ferris was one being super vulnerable and talking about the fact that he is out of a five-year relationship recently i don't know how recent i just stopped myself from saying and good job (laughs) man the word and is really a crutch for me it Mm -hmm. like helps me think like not saying and is making me freeze a little bit well it's just this transition period because it you're now trying you're using brain power to not say and so then it's hard for you to find exactly. or access what you actually want to say right yeah okay so he got out of a five-year relationship and uh he's then talking about how 
you know, the idea of dating again is like really scary. The thing, other thing that really stood out to me in this conversation he had with Matt Moshari, who is, sorry, he's like an executive coach. Yeah, CEO coach. Okay. Is that he gave so many details and specifics about his fears of putting himself out there. And then every time Matt Mushari kind of uh, just repeated back to him what he said or asked like a follow-up question, Tim just continued to give more specifics and more details to make it possible and easier for Matt to then kind of work with that information. So I was just so impressed by him. Yeah, I was too. I mean, from a... uh communication standpoint, I think one of the tricks that I'm going to try to use is just saying, okay, so what I'm hearing is and replaying it back and you make sure you get it crystal clear. Like, so if we're having an argument or like you're saying something that's pissing you off about something I'm doing, like that would be an interesting way to make sure I have full grasp on exactly what's causing annoyance or frustration. I also think that by doing that, it helps you in your own mind, like form your thoughts about what's causing you frustration as well. Sorry, I was trying to do the levels. This is You usually do the levels and I'm <laughs> sitting over here looking at the levels and I feel like you keep going into the red, but you said you're supposed to go into the red a little bit. You can go into, yeah, I like going into the red a, li- a little bit. By the way, the levels, you can also do this post facto in GarageBand. So I wouldn't worry too much about the levels per se. Okay. And I keep changing them now. So I'm probably... Leave them as is. Just just don't tinker with them. What as about long as they're me? not How above seven. Sound? As long as they're not above seven. Right here. Yeah. Oh, interesting that your levels are above mine. That's that's weird. I would probably, probably because... Yeah. It's probably a bad idea. I would just keep them at six and a half and then You should be in charge of doing the levels. <laughs> we, we are transitioning responsibilities of this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, but then I'm looking at the levels and I have literally no idea what you just said. I know. In fact, actually, it was interesting trying to talk to you when you're clearly not paying attention because I couldn't even form words. And so sometimes when I'm doing the levels or like checking the phone to make sure one of our kids isn't having an issue at daycare or whatever, um, and you're talking, I could see how that would be difficult if the counterparty is not there. Yeah. Yeah, this is, I'm trying to be presence, but there's some. Well, don't worry about the levels. The levels are fine. That we need to take care of. So, all right, I am here. What were you saying? It's <laughs> <is> great <laughs> podcast content. <laughs> the notion of active listening and then replaying back what you hear is a really useful tool. One to make sure that I fully grasp it, like what is causing. Um, pain or frustration or annoyance if we're in an argument per se. And then also it's giving you more space to even clarify and pinpoint yeah, exactly. exactly what is frustrating about what I'm doing. Yeah, especially because sometimes you just feel the emotion and you, well, I'll speak for myself. Sometimes I feel an emotion and I'm not exactly, I can't put into words why I'm feeling that way until we keep talking about right it. the hard part though is if we're in an argument and doing that we're both feeling the emotion mm. here the interesting thing about like having a coach and he even said this like he, he was basically asking tim to give an example of something that was giving him fear in his life and so he said i just got out of this five-year relationship i have fear about getting back out there like for a host of reasons one it's just like that process of trying to find someone you're compatible with two being famous he okay, has he's all 45 
and he's 45 and like he doesn't want to be in a wheelchair right bringing up his kids and um he has also as being famous he has like concerns whether they're actually their motivations are pure or whatnot and all of those are are valid but um basically matt asked him to give him a prediction like what is he dreading about this um and he even before the prediction came out, he said, "Like I've done this hundreds of times with uh, clients, and they'll say something, and I will predict the exact opposite, and that has never failed to be true. Like the opposite thing that someone predicts is actually true, and the reason is because he's not in fear, so Matt isn't in fear, and so right. he could see the world clearly. This breaks down a little bit as we." migrate towards like an argument and using right. some of these tools because we're both feeling heightened emotions right. and it's not like some unbiased third party yeah when he was doing this like i felt like he was a magician he was especially he was calling it before it happened he's yeah. like look i'm gonna be able to see this clearly the entire audience is gonna be able to see this clearly and i'm like okay like I wonder how authentic this is going to be or like if it actually works, like how can he be this confident? And then it did. And it's basically Tim was like, I'm fearful that it will be more exhausting than fun. Right. To get back out there yep. into the dating world. And can I, I actually wrote down the exact words because as he said the words, I felt mesmerized. Like he was hypnotizing me. Well, no, you were a member of the audience, just like he said, and you were able to see the world clearly. And what he predicted was, it was impossible for it not to be true. Well, we don't know if it's going to be true. Yeah, we do. He said, Tim, I predict the exact opposite. I think you're going to have more fun than exhaustion. You're going to meet a ton of super fun people and you're going to have serendipitous experiences that delight you. And I was just like, yes, that is so wonderful. Like, we don't know if that's going to happen or not. How do we not? We don't know if he's going to find someone, but he's going to have serendipitous encounters. He's totally. going to have a lot of yeah. fun going through the process. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to be a bad process. And basically the, then like the, the reason this guy has a superpower is because, and he even said this in the interview, but he turns every conversation into actions. Right. And so he's like, Tim, what is one thing you can do? Uh, and basically he was like, all right, I'm going to reach out to three friends to create small dinner parties to give me the chance to meet people. Mm -hmm. And that's brilliant because like the thought of going to a bar, yeah, that's more exhausting than fun. Right. But here you're having a dinner with, with your, your friends. friends and mutual or people that you don't know, but they have a mutual friend. So regardless of whether you meet someone, that's going to, going to be fun. True. I was thinking about this in my own life of like, okay, where can I basically just like, change my outlook by changing like my frame of reference so i think that we do this a lot where we plan for the worst definitely and we just expect the worst and it and like this just happened the other night where george didn't eat dinner which meal times can be stressful and he's also been sick yeah, he's had a stomach bug yeah there's a lot of stuff going on so it wasn't like crazy that he he wasn't eating so he went to bed without eating anything. And Sam was just like, well, he's going to be up at 2 a.m. And I'm just going to, you know what? I'm just going to plan for him to get up at 2 a.m. And I'm going to have to take him and it's going to be fine. And he was like talking himself up. And I was like, I think he's going to wake up at 7 a.m. And he's going to sleep through the night. And he's just going to wake up and he's going to be ready for a big breakfast. And Sam laughed, and then he ended up sleeping until like 6.15, which was well, awesome. Well, he got up at 9, but then we got him back. 
Oh, 9 p.m. He, he got, oh, he did, like, after he went down for a bit. But yeah, we which he never normally never does. Yeah, no, But then he went back down and he stayed. Right. I don't know if this is the best example, though. Sorry to take the wind out of your sails. But <laughs> this wasn't trying to be pessimistic. This was a tool I was using so that if he got up in the middle of the night, I wasn't cursing and kicking things as I got up in the middle of the night. It was like, okay, I'm going to prepare for this worst case scenario. Right, but so that if then it happens, you could, yeah, I, I, and I, I do the same thing. I agree with you, but this, you're like, yeah, I'm preparing for the worst, but then like, how does it make you feel for the rest of the night before you get into bed? That I, your point is well taken. There are certain things that I do where it's like worrying about it is not going to do anything. Yeah. But here, I just said that, and then it didn't impact my night okay. at all. Okay. Um, I think sometimes for me, when I do that kind of stuff, it does impact me, and it kind of puts me in a bad mood. Me too. That example is just not one where like it. But I, t- I was actually relating a lot to Tim Ferriss in this interview with Matt Moshari because he was saying like he's just hyper vigilant in every aspect of his life and he plans for worst case outcomes Mm -hmm. whether it's like setting up a different llc for every one of his projects to make sure that you're um limiting liability uh and have no cross exposure i guess um and all of these things that he was doing that even matt mushari was like well what if you just don't ask the lawyer right to try to eliminate some of the stress and tim was like i can't do that and i feel i feel a lot of that if something's going wrong with the house, I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. especially because I'm not handy, so I don't have an ability to ha- do it myself. But it's like, oh, gosh, what if that's causing a leak somewhere else? And then it's going to create mold. And I go down these rabbit holes of like the absolute My worst case scenario. <laughs> and that does give me undue stress. Mm-hmm. It's like there, if I think with a clear head, okay, if there's a problem, I could figure out who to call. I could have them inspect it to make sure. And like even in the worst case scenario where we have a leak through the walls, it's like there are ways to remediate that that aren't like we don't have to live with mold for the rest yeah. of our life. I'm trying to think of uh, a fear of mine where I have a fear that makes an exaggerated prediction. I think a, a lot um, surrounding like hard conversations with family members. I was actually just thinking about this today because my older sister who I don't talk to you that much and um, we just like butt heads a lot and we're just, I don't know, we're very different. Uh, her birthday was the other day and I was kind of like dreading calling her, which it makes me feel like kind of shitty because like I never call her unless it's like her birthday or her daughter's birthday. Those are like the two times a year that I'm like, oh, I have to call my sister. She called me the day before her birthday out of the blue. I wasn't, and I, and I figured there was a reason, but there, there didn't seem to be a reason throughout the conversation. She was just calling and I was starting to think like there's a lot of stuff that have, has come up with me around like my writing and how she's made me feel bad in the past on a number of different occasions that like one saying like she's her biggest fear is that I was going to write a book and there was going to be things in it that were untrue. And then recently she got really so pissed off at me because I didn't remember something, a memory of ours that that happened that we shared, I guess. But it was about her being dressing up in this like chipmunk costume with like a big head and she has really bad asthma and it was like this horrible experience for her and I was just like kind of along for the ride apparently and I don't remember it I'm like well at first I was just like feeling really bad like oh I can't believe I don't remember this thing I have such a bad memory and then it was just like why would I remember that like that's your memory like it affected you way more than it affected me so anyway I was just like maybe 
if I just talked to Alexis and told her how some of this stuff made me feel, maybe she would be receptive to it. But I'm so scared of her doing what, the, you know, the, the exaggerated prediction of like just kind of digging her heels in and making me feel, again, bad is why I'm just like, I'm just going to avoid that altogether. And, and then I'm sitting over here like putting the blame on her that she sucks. Mm. And that's not really fair. Yeah. The other thing is that I have been wanting to reach out to my old therapist for like a year. And I've just thought, I think about it like once a week, like I miss my therapist. She was, it was in California. I loved her. She helped me so much. And then we tried one therapist here in North Carolina who was kind of just like lukewarm. And then we stopped going to her. We tried a couple. We tried a couple. Yeah. We stuck with one for a little while. Yeah. And so then I was kind of just like, I don't feel like doing this again. I'd really just want my old therapist. And then COVID happened. So I was like, oh, maybe things are different now where they can cross state lines and I could just do virtual appointments with her. So I was like, I should just email her and ask her. And I, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. And I think my fear was just being rejected. And also that then like eventually I'm going to have to go through this process again of finding somebody else, even though I don't want somebody else. And so instead of taking an action and doing something, I just thought about it. Mm-hmm. And it's like the fear of, of, you know, having an answer come back that wasn't what I wanted kept me from not moving forward in anything. Mm. So how, how does that do me anything? Any good? Well, it's even more detrimental because it's hanging over you as well. Exactly. But so, anyway, then this, perhaps this podcast with Matt Moshari was the kick in the butt you needed because you, you just reached out to a bunch of therapists. Well, as a matter of fact, I have a life coach now who I've been working with, Sarah Stadler. I started working with her in February, so it hasn't been that long. And like Matt does, she gives me action items each week. We meet once a week, and at the end of the call, she's like, all right, what do you want? Like, she's not, like, just, you know, throwing out action items. She's like, what do you want your action items to be? And I have found in the past, you know, however many weeks I've been working with her that I am always resistant to whatever action she gives me, no matter what it is, even if I'm like, this is what I should do. But then when she says, okay, here's your action item, I'm like, oh, fuck, I got to do this thing. So one of my action items was to uh, find a therapist, not find a therapist, but at least this week to start looking up therapists in my area. So today I I have my meeting with her tomorrow and today I have to like give her, send like a little prep doc about the week and I have to write like what actions I took, what my wins were and what my challenges were. And I started to fill it out today and I'm like, Oh my God, I didn't do any of my action items yet. I have to do them. So then today I went on psychology today or whatever. And I found four therapists and I emailed three of them and now I have three I have three uh, intake calls next week with potential therapists. That's really cool. I I think it's awesome. I didn't know she gave you an action item each week, but after listening to Matt cuz he was saying like people will ask him what makes him a world renowned CEO coach who he I think Sam Altman and Brian Arch, Armstrong of Coinbase and um ChatGPT uh Sam Altman is the mm. guy that does chat GPT. Like, why are all these world-renowned CEOs using him? And he he's like, I have a hard time answering that because I 
don't bring anything new to the table. It's all recycling and uh, reusing stuff from other people. But what I do do is turn every conversation into an action item. And that's cool that, uh, and it, it all comes back to accountability is I guess where exactly. I was going with that. And it's like the, the actual value of a life coach or a CEO coach is accountability. How does it feel to be somebody that has a life coach? <laughs> Did you ever think like 10 years ago you'd have a life coach? No, <laughs> no, I didn't even know what a life coach meant. I, right. I, well, I asked because you actually, you kind of said you, maybe not the life coach specifically, but you were saying you're really struggling sometimes with your relationship to money mm-hmm. or like your identity around money. Yes. Having a life coach seems like a very privileged thing to have. <laughs> It's not like I'm going to tell my family I have a life coach. Like, no fucking way. Mm -hmm. I'll tell anybody else that I have a life coach. Actually, that's not true. Probably not not anybody. I don't know. Yeah, it's a little bit like, uh, you know, it's kind of like when my parents came to visit us the first time and our landscapers were in the back backyard and I was just like oh my god I don't want them to see them I was like closing the blinds <laughs> it's like, oh you guys have landscapers <laughs> um yeah it's kind of similar to how I feel about life coach but I love having a life coach and I've already seen like a lot of big changes in my life I think the biggest one is that I've realized that in order for me to be less anxious which is like something that I am all the time, I have to be present. And the more tools I can have to have presence in moments, the um, more peaceful I feel. And that has been like enormous for me. I think when, when I started with Sarah, I said like my goal with this working with you is that at the end of each day, I feel more peace. Because right now at the end of each day, I feel like so frazzled not frazzled, like just like I didn't do enough and that there's not enough time in the day and that there's not enough time for me and um, and that I should feel much happier, even though like I keep saying I am happy, but I am also very stressed out all the time. And I, I would like to not feel like that anymore. And, you know, I have not reached monk status yet, even close, but I am feeling more at the end of each day a little bit more peace. That's great. Yeah. And it's, it, it kind of seems like a little thing, but it's also a huge thing. Yeah. Massive. I know that there was like a lot of other good stuff in here, but I really want to skip to the end because the beginning of the podcast was so powerful to just see Matt and Tim engage in this conversation about moving forward and like finding a person to spend his time with. And then at the end... Matt got really vulnerable. And th- that's Before the thing. Before that, though. Oh, God. Sorry, but that's the thing. What? Th- that's the thing that, like, you know, for me, and mm-hmm. I, I just, like, anytime people are vulnerable, I'm just like, oh, this is so exciting. Like, I got so excited. At the end, Matt's like, so, Tim, you've been transparent with me. I'll be transparent with you. And when he said that line, I was just like, oh, my God. What is he going to say? Like, it was like I was listening to a thriller or something. Mm-hmm. There's one thing from the middle I want to circle back to, but we could do it after this. Okay. So... Matt comes out at the end and confesses and says that he is also recently out of a relationship, but it was a 18 year marriage with children and that it ended because of his anger. And then it's interesting because Sam and I have already talked about this a little bit, but we had two different 
reactions to this uh, confession. Now, I was just like, thought that Matt had extreme ownership over the fact that he and his wife got divorced. And the way he talked about his wife and she was just like, she had like a zero tolerance policy on anger and was just like, listen, if you express any anger towards me, like I'm done. And I guess like she had expressed this multiple times. And then one day he got really angry and she was just like, that's it. I'm out. We're done. And I was just like, wow, I, I just really respected him for like sharing that because that's a really vulnerable and, um, hard thing to share. Like your wife left you because of your anger issues. Um, and also I really felt like the way he spoke about her, it kind of felt like he was saying it from her perspective. Like he had a lot of, um, empathy for her side and wasn't defensive at all in, in his retelling of how it went down. Yeah, I agree. And I went back and, and read the transcript and I think your recollection, cause it, well, my initial reaction was like 18 year marriage and she left him over getting angry. Like she's leaving him no space for improvement at all it's like this ultimatum and um but there is a lot that we don't have access to and so and we don't know but like the one thing he did say was like he had found ways um to like catch himself being triggered and then um like kind of uh dissipate it very quickly or she would even be able to realize like when he was starting to get angry and she would have mechanisms to, to help him through that. So we don't know like how helpful she was in his journey to find like less anger in his life. But to me, that was the big thing. It was like, wow, she gave him this ultimatum and then one slip up and you're going to end an 18 year marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, so that's kind of how I took it where you took it like a different Yeah. And I assumed, which, you know, who knows, but it seems like his anger is like really scary. Probably. Probably is. Yeah. So for, and it was, I I went back and re-listened to it and read the transcript and the timeline was a little bit, I was a little confused about like when his wife kind of told him this, because then he said for many years, she had been trying to share with me that it couldn't start, but he didn't think that was possible. Right. Right, right. And that, like, that it w- you couldn't go to anger ever. And then he said, and the day after she shared this with me, and then he talks about how he was with a coach, and the coach said anger is not a base, base emotion. The, anger is a cover for pain. The day after she left him. The day after she shared this with me. Shared that I'm going to leave you. Okay. Gotcha. So, like, he had been working on it gotcha. for so okay. long, and he didn't think okay. it, anger could ever be something that, like, was just gone forever. Like, gotcha. sure, there are ways to harness it and, um, or not harness, but like suppress it and um, manage it. Yeah. But he didn't think it could just be gone. Gotcha. I was like, because he said like, oh, I'm surrounded by coaches and I happen to be talking to a coach and he shared this with me. I'm like, well, I guess. It was after she left. And right, then for but, six months, he but said. why didn't he share this information with all these coaches before? It takes a big life event yeah. to really yeah. change. I mean, and even earlier in the conversation, he said, it's like, it's your home, where you live, and your most significant, or where you work, rather. Your home, where you work, and your most significant relationship are like the three big pillars of someone's life. And if mm-hmm. one gets out of whack, like you cannot make good decisions, your whole life is out of order. And if two go, it is just like this. Crumbles. Yeah, you're, um, and I think there's something in the hedge fund world where if a hedge fund manager is going through a divorce, their performance is horrible like 
through that. And it makes a lot of sense. Like, how can you make good decisions um, when you're going through something like that destructive personally? So I think he realized in the six months after that anger is something that you can work with by sitting with pain and like by really feeling it. And then also what I found interesting was he didn't lean on, he said he hasn't had any alcohol, no drugs and no comfort foods. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, we got two out of the three, but if we really want to like get to that monk state that you alluded to and like true happiness in our life, I think we got to eliminate the, the ice cream and the, and the cookies. Yep. It makes me think of, um, back to Stutz, that documentary I saw, and he talks about the the three pillars, and the the first pillar that you have to take care of before anything else is your body. Right, but it also <laughs> just like gives you like without your glucose spiking, you can be you can find more uh, equilibrium in your life, um, and it may be painful at first, but at least you're not like your emotions aren't getting spiked based mm. on what you eat or what you drink. Right. So then, uh. Tim, of course, in true Tim Ferriss fa- uh, fashion, is just like, okay, like, like, what are the actions? What do we do? Like, because he, re- I think he really related to this because I think he's expressed that he is anger issues, anger issues, yeah. So, um, so then Matt says, uh, he gives the Tim gives an example of like a, an article that was shared recently that really got him fired up. It was like that morning, and somebody like called him and Ryan Holiday like tech bros, and he's just like. Well, particularly because they lean on uh, stoicism. Right, right. And so Matt said um, to that he could reach out to the author and and just like let him know in a in a in a non-accusatory way. He says, "When you share your pain and a boundary that got crossed, you're never accusing. You're just saying this is what's going on with me, and people are actually open to that. They're not open to anger. Mm-hmm. Shocking. So." This got me thinking, <laughs> and I just wrote about this, but like how I am refusing to call my mom because mm-hmm. I'm so pissed off because I have been calling her a lot recently, like once a week, and then she just never calls me, not once. So then I told her like, and it was really hard for me to say this, and I said, you know, I call you all the time. It would be nice if you call me sometimes, and she was like, oh, you know, I know you're so busy. I don't want to bother you, which I knew she was going to say that, and so I was like, I appreciate it, but if I'm busy and I don't answer, then I will call you back when I'm not busy. And she was like, okay, great. Yeah, I'll call you. And I was like, okay. So I hung up the phone. I felt really good about myself. And I, after that, I like kept making sure that I called her because I didn't want her to feel like I was then like testing her or waiting for her. But then this went on for like two more months and she still never effing called me. So one day, all of a sudden, I just like, I was fed up and I was just like, you know what? I'm done. I'm not calling her back. And I'm, and now I'm just stewing. And this has been now, what, did, how long has it been now? Two weeks? Um, at least. I think Two longer weeks. than that. I mean, she, and now I'm not even replying to the text thread anymore. I'm not sending any pictures of the kids. Nothing. Because, like, I just think this is so ridiculous that she hasn't called me. Now, I realize I am being really immature. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is that if I were to, like, right now, at some point, I'm going to have a conversation with my mom whether I call her or she calls me. And my fear is that I'm just going to be pissed. I'm going to be angry. And I I don't want to be angry anymore. So according to this, if I just share with her that like, you know, it, hurt, it hurts my feelings that you haven't called. And then I share a boundary that was crossed. Like, I don't even know what that boundary is. And I was 
uh, Brene Brown talks about boundaries a lot. And she basically said this, like a boundary is simply what's okay and what's not okay. And so I can't say like, oh, you not calling me is not okay. That's not really a boundary. So it's like, what is... Well, if you want to have a good relationship, it's not okay. Like if you want to have a a good mother-daughter relationship, not calling me is not okay. Like, mm. sure. Like, I mean, she doesn't have to call you, but it's like, what kind of relationship are you going to have then? I don't know how to say that without sounding petty. Right. And you don't have to say that. I'm just saying for in your mind. Right. But how do I express my pain and express a boundary that was crossed? Look, it was really hard for me to ask you to call me. That was really hard and uncomfortable. And maybe it shouldn't have been, but it was really hard for me to say those words. And then the fact that you haven't called since then is hurtful. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to use the term boundary. No, of course not. So, I know. Okay. So, but in your mind, that's a boundary. Right. Okay. Yeah. And just hearing you say that just made me squirm in my seat. <laughs> like, ugh. But you don't have to use those words. But like, that's, that's the truth if you were going to say it. Right. Yeah. Um, to, to quote more of Brene Brown, she... She said something funny, and I love her. She, everything she says, I'm just like, yes. But she said, I assumed for the first 35 years of my life that people were sucking on purpose just to piss me off. <laughs> and she said, my therapist said, what if they're doing the best they can? So then I'm like, okay, what if my mom is doing the best she can? <laughs> you know, like, it's not that my mom is sitting at home and she's like, you know what? We'll piss Charlie off if I don't call her. So I'm not going to call her. Like that is not what my mom is thinking. So if I can think like assume the best is that maybe she's pretty stressed out right now because of the house. They're 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 under construction and I know Are they that still under construction. I have no idea cuz I haven't talked to her. <laughs> but I know that it has been a very stressful and long process. Um and what else? Um, my dad has, my dad got injured at work. And so uh, maybe there, there's some stress around there. I don't know if he's still, you know, getting his regular paycheck or what. Um, she, I don't know. Yeah, it could be all those things. It could be a health thing. Like, who knows? You haven't. Yeah, so then Sam's like, are you sure everything's okay? And it's like, oh, well, then they should have called me. Somebody should have called me and told me if there's a health issue. Right. But you're right. Like my mom also doesn't really ex tell people when she's not like when until she's she sick, has to until she has to. So right. you just don't know. I mean, right. No, I don't know. So if I'm assuming the best, it's just that she's preoccupied. She also watches her, her grandbaby once or twice a week. So, you know, it's not like she's not busy. Mm -hmm. She she's got a life. Yeah. Um, so I am, but it could be money stress. Like that also, like we have no idea what's going on right. in her mind. Yeah. So when I think about that, I'm like, okay, I have to like give my mom the benefit of the doubt. Um, but I still resort to feeling like as soon as I talk to her, I'm just going to be like, going to have like an attitude. Yeah. I think you need to figure out a way not to have an <laughs> attitude, but also tell her. Yeah. Yeah, well, anyway, it's really hard. Yeah, no, I, I get it.
Oh, and I have this one more quote from Brene Brown. She said, to assume the best about people is an, almost an in inherently selfish act because the life you change first is your own. So Put I'm doing it for me. oxygen mask first. That's right. I'm doing it for me because I don't, like, when I assume the best about other people, I have less anger. Yeah. And I don't want to be so angry all the time. Right. Right. All right. Well, that's that about wraps it up for us. This was fun. Yeah. How did it feel doing a uh, podcast interview that you published? Oh, with Randy? Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it. I had some issues with the sound, mm -hmm. which was kind of a bummer. But like you said, the only way that I'm going to learn is by doing it. So yeah. now I know for the next one. Um, I was nervous. And be specific there. Like you were just using your Bose headphones instead of oh. plugging in a USB mic. Yeah. I didn't realize that it was going to sound so crappy if I had my headphones on. I thought yeah. it would sound good. Randy sounded great. Yeah. It was just on my end. So now I'll, next time I'm going to uh, use one of these mics. Yeah. I was nervous to talk to anyone but you. Mm. <laughs> like, I know it's like, it's really comfortable for me to have a conversation with you. And I feel like I can, like the thing that I'm working on now is being really present and authentic. And I don't want to um, lose that when I'm talking to someone who I don't know as well. But that's actually why it's good for me to do it because it allows me to practice that. And totally. like, I want to be my most authentic self as much as I can. And so now I got to do that. Um, the feedback was really great. There was like some rite of passage people who listen to it and who love Randy. So they're like, oh my God, I'm going to listen to this now. And, and that was really nice. And um, Randy's like a quiet, introverted guy. So uh, it was cool to, um, you know, get his voice out there and... Um, I thought after I listened to it, you know, when I, when we did it and like I hung up, I was just like, yeah, you know, I probably won't use that. And then I listened to it and I was like, oh my God, this is really interesting. Um, so, uh, I'm really excited and now I'm excited to do more conversations with people. Yeah, that's cool. I thought you were really, really good. I enjoyed Thank the conversation, you. but I also think it's like this, regardless if anyone listens to these, like by actually doing it, you get better. And then by publishing it, you get better because you wouldn't have, if you didn't publish it and you just like let it be afterwards you wouldn't have noticed the sound issue yeah. and that's like one technical aspect it's more i'm talking more about like the stylistic things about how you ask questions how you leave space mm. how you give the person space to like give their answer and then another beat to give the real answer and like all of those things i think you're going to get so much better as a conversationalist but i thought the first one was really good like i think you're you're natural thank you i am um the thing with Randy is that because there was like zero pressure, like I was like, I'm probably not going to publish this. I really didn't have like even a list of questions. Like I knew we were going to talk about two things. I knew we were going to talk about the purpose of our writing and I knew we were going to talk about Twitter and then everything else kind of just was flowed naturally in there. Um, as well, there's I, your answer. You've been struggling with this balance of like preparing without over preparing. Hmm. It's like, you need to have certain topics that you know you're going to address in any conversation because otherwise it's, yeah, it could become it. Maybe it's going to ultimately be good, but it, the risk is that it's rambling and um, you never get anywhere interesting and you hit the surface on a lot of things. But so having topics as guideposts, but then leaving so much space for wherever it goes. Yeah. So I am going to be interviewing Paulina Marinova Pompliano next week and i started a list uh, in my phone of things i want to talk about and there's way more than two things so i am feeling nervous about that because i really want to like 
cover a lot of ground, but I also don't want to be like looking at my notes because like today with this conversation, I had my notes pulled up for my, um, notes on this podcast and I felt a little distracted. Yeah. I, (laughs) I don't think it, like, I think if there's one passage you want to read, like you can refer to it, but I think like, even if we're talking about a podcast, both of us coming with like, okay, three topics we want to hit, but not like referring to notes per se. Yeah. At least that's the way I found it works best because it does kind of derail from the dialogue if we're like, oh, I meant to hit this. and But also we're going to get better right. at it. It's yeah. like that's the whole point of this yeah. is figuring out how to have a conversation while looking at notes and what is the balance of how detailed the notes are and how much like when do we read quotes off our notes and when do we not? How do we structure the notes on the page so that we can access the right. quotes easily? So I'm not like, sh- you know, shuffling yeah. through like, where is my note on Yeah, this? exactly. So like, but that, again, mm-hmm. you can't get better until you do it. Yeah. And then the other thing is that um, every time we record, we get to the end and I'm just like, fuck, 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 fuck. What? I need an ending. We need something good. It needs to be like some awesome thing. And so I'm like, I should plan my endings more. Right. So I, I, and then I, and I never think of it until right now. <laughs> um, so that's something that I, um, would like to work on and I'm, and I'm not really, I'm not sure how to do that because it would be great if there's like something natural to tie it back to at the beginning or something, or maybe just like not make such a big deal about ending the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this was really fun. Thanks for doing it with me. Likewise. Thank you. All right. I love you. I love you. (laughs) Bye.